listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit for restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Luke chapter 13, Jesus has said some very difficult things to his followers. Remember last week we talked about fans and followers, and we looked at John chapter 6 and talked about how when Jesus teaches some things, it was so offensive that it began to separate those who were fans of Jesus, who wanted to get close enough to him just to have the benefits of Jesus, and those who were followers of Jesus, the ones who were committed to him regardless of how offensive or regardless of how hard uh, it might be. That fans wanted more of a show from Jesus in John 6, whereas followers wanted a new vision of life. And you see the distinction and the separation take place between fans and followers. But Jesus doesn't slow down. He continues to say some pretty difficult things. And that's what he's been doing, frankly. And we look at Luke 13, and then he says some beautiful things about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God grows and and spreads through just the smallest, smallest of things. And then we get to what is maybe even subtitled in your scripture and often talked about as this narrow way. And look at what he says in John 13. And we're going to read a lot this morning again. Verse 22, He went through one town and village after another, teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. Lord, someone asked, are there few being saved? So here you have the question of, a, are there just a... Just a, just, a, just a few folks being saved? Or the, the un, unasked question is, are there a, a lot of people being saved? Or is everyone being saved? Is, is everyone going to be delivered and rescued into this kingdom of God, into this life with God under the rule and reign and love of God? And Jesus responds. He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door. Then you will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. And he will answer, I don't know you or where you're from. Then you'll say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Get away from me, all you workers of unrighteousness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place. When you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves thrown out. They will come from the east and west, from north and south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Note this, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Again, not one of those most encouraging texts from Jesus at all. Because Jesus is making some very bold statements. And he's saying, some of you will knock on the door. And some of you will say, but, but, we, but we knew of you, we, 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 we ate with you, we were, we, were, we were with you, you taught on our streets. And he'll say, I, I don't know you. He says, you will not have a place at the kingdom table. But the ones who will are the ones from the east and west and north and south. The table. See, it would be, it would be hard to overestimate the importance of table fellowship in this culture, particularly in the Mediterranean basin in the first century of our era, meal times, table times, sitting around the table for meals, they were, they were so much more than just getting something to eat and drink. And this is very important for us. We're going to understand any time in Scripture this idea of table is brought up. Because see, being welcomed at someone's table to eat with another person was symbolic of something. It was symbolic of intimacy. It was symbolic of friendship. And it was symbolic of unity. You didn't just go and grab a bite with a buddy. 
It was something much more than that. Matter of fact, when people were estranged from one another for whatever reasons, if a meal invitation was offered, it was understood as a gesture for reconciliation. So during Jesus' day, common meals, mealtime, particularly table fellowship where guests were invited, was a very complex event. It was a very complex event where social statuses were upheld, social boundaries were upheld, the hierarchical structure of society was upheld. In other words, a poor man had no business eating with a rich man, period. You didn't do that in Jesus' day. It was against all social custom because of what table fellowship represented. Table fellowship said, I want you intimate in my life. I want you a friend in my life. I want you, in a sense, sort of one with me in my life. And so you didn't just invite the riffraff or anybody. Whoever you ate with had to be someone right there with you in society. Or maybe even of higher honor if they would accept the invitation. And if they did accept the invitation, guess what happened to your status? You were elevated. In a sense, no different than if you had a very important person over at your home for dinner and everyone knew about it, and then all of a sudden, the people you can't seem to hang out with want to hang out with you. In a sense, it's no different, except this was society. And so to challenge this idea of table fellowship, to challenge it in such a way that you wanted to cross social boundaries or deny social statuses, was a challenge to culture itself and would have been considered the most dishonorable thing you could do. And this is very important because Jesus lived in an honor and shame culture, which is why the statuses and the boundaries were drawn. And so if you challenged the status quo, then you would be considered very dishonorable and at best you would be considered very clearly an enemy to society because you're trying to disrupt the way we do things in our world. Table fellowship was radically exclusive until Jesus. See, because then Jesus turns around and practices this inclusive table fellowship, which is why the Pharisees had such a problem with his eating habits. You look at Luke chapter 15, verse 2 on the screen here, and the Pharisees and scribes are complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I mean, not only does he talk to them, but he invites them into intimacy and friendship and unity with him. And so, no wonder why they had such a problem with Jesus. Jesus is disrupting the very fabric of social culture with his table fellowship practices. But he didn't disrupt a dehumanizing social custom just for the sake of disrupting it. Jesus purposefully practiced this radically inclusive table fellowship for for a very particular purpose. When Jesus would eat with the sinners and the tax collectors and the riffraff of society, what Jesus was purposefully doing was announcing and demonstrating that the kingdom of God that is very present has a different social status. It has a different social order. Because the kingdom of God doesn't uphold to boundaries set by society and the rich and poor and the the social statuses. As a matter of fact, the kingdom of God, Jesus wants to make them understand, has nothing to do with their social customs. And so it was very absurd what Jesus would say, even in this hard text, when he would have the audacity to say. Verse 28 of 13, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are thrown out. Because the you yourselves he's talking to are the 
religiously entitled ones. They're the Jews. They're the ones who believed with everything that they were that because of what the book of Deuteronomy said, because they were God's chosen people, that they absolutely had a guaranteed seat at the kingdom table. And so then you bring Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the heroes of their faith, into it. They know just by virtue of their birth, just by virtue of their religious heritage and their status and their national brand being a Jew, that they would absolutely have a seat at the kingdom table with the heroes of their faith. But then Jesus has the audacity to turn around and say that there's a really good chance you won't be there. And as a matter of fact, you might not be there, but the ones from the east and the west and the north and the south, they actually might have a seat. See, because the Jews of Jesus' day, not all but some, had misunderstood some things. In their self-righteousness, they had distanced themselves from the broken. And their self-righteousness is what was going to cause them to not have a seat at the table. Because the kingdom of God is not about status. It's not about birthright. And so when Jesus makes this statement, he makes a very hard statement. He says, who you think are in, in the in crowd, may not be. And who you think are out, may not be. And so then Jesus turns around and says, well, the last will be first and the first last. So now Jesus is attacking directly the social hierarchy. He's busting up every social class that could exist when he turns around and says, but the last, the ones who, who, who barely, who have to sit out by the door of the table fellowship are going to be the ones who actually sit at the front of the table. And you who think you should sit at the front of the table because of what you bring to the table, you're going to sit closest to the door. See, because... There's something that Jesus has to help them understand that we need to remember. When Jesus talks about the last in society, he's talking about the least. He's talking about the poor. He's talking about the prostitutes. He's talking about the beggars, the immigrants, and the foreigners, the lepers, the the lawbreakers, the uneducated, the unsuccessful. Those with the dirty past. He's talking about those who the in crowd would say just really don't belong. And Jesus turns around and says, but the least belong the most. But see, then the first of society, the wealthy, the rich, the religious, the ones who know it all, they'll be seated last if they're seated even at all. And and, and church, it's not that religion and wealth or success deems a person unworthy of the kingdom table, but but what, what ends up happening is the attitudes of these people that Jesus are talking to, it was their attitudes toward the least of society that ended up deeming them unworthy of the kingdom table. Their attitudes began to lack a sense of mercy and a sense of compassion and a sense of humility. And, and, and you see that in the way they treated Jesus. He dines at the, at the table of sinners. And see, what the Jews had often forgotten is that the law of Moses was ultimately a law of love, but what they had made the law of Moses about was a law of distinction. 
It was a law that determined who was in and who was out. It was a law that distanced themselves from the bruised and the broken and the needy and put them far away. But then Jesus comes and Jesus goes to the far out places. He goes to those who are on the fringes of society. He actually goes to the broken and he actually goes to the ones with the dirty past and he searches for them. And he still does, by the way. And he didn't just search for them. He did something even bigger. He invited them to eat with him at the table and then had the audacity to announce that they too, if they respond to the invitation, could have a seat at the kingdom table. And that's absurd. That's offensive. And so Jesus, to make his point clear, if you look at Luke 14, starting in verse 7, says this. He told a parable to those who were invited, and when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves, he said this. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet or a party... Don't recline at the best place because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in humiliation you'll proceed to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and recline in the lowest place so that when the one who invited you comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up higher. You'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. For everyone who thinks that you belong in the upper echelon of social class, you're going to ultimately, he says, be humbled. But look at what else he says, verse 12, because he gets even more absurd. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. Well, then who in the world do you invite, Jesus? I mean, I want to invite John to my house because I know John will buy my dinner later. He says, on the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind. And you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Wait a minute. The poor? And they can't pay me back. I mean, what will my neighbors say if I invite the broken, the blind, the poor? I mean, Jesus, you know, don't you understand our table fellowship customs here, bro? Exactly. And he says, but your reward will be at the resurrection of the righteous. But then so someone then replies. I I don't know why this person replied. Maybe they were a little drunk at this particular point. Verse 15 When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said, The one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed. You got to love that one person in the crowd. Yeah! This person's reply flows right out of verse 14 in that text where Jesus talks about this resurrection of the righteous. When Jesus says resurrection of the righteous, all the Jews know what that means. They know that that's when the fullness of the kingdom of God comes in its completion. And so they know that's the reward. That's what we live for. That's what we believe in. That's what we hope for. And so, so that guy, I mean, he's excited. He's like, yeah, I mean, head bump, chest bump, I mean, the whole thing, high-fiving. Looks like, and so Jesus then wants to broaden their imaginations with that statement. So now he's going to tell another parable. He tells another parable to broaden their imaginations in such a way that they understand what he means when he talks about this whole idea of this kingdom table. Except this next parable Jesus is going to talk about not only includes a kingdom table, it includes a party. 
Because it's a celebration that takes place when he returns and, and ushers in the fullness of God's kingdom. So Jesus is going to take his cues off of this reward for the resurrection of the righteous as he's been talking about this kingdom table. And now he's going to talk about this, this party. And I'm, I mean, who doesn't like a party? Some of you probably don't like a party. But I like a party. And I think Jesus likes a party. Because he's about to talk about something you could call a, an end-time kingdom party. So listen to what he says in Luke 14. 16. Then he told them, a man was giving a large banquet or party and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his slave to tell those who were invited, come because everything is ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. It was real kind. You know, he wasn't rude about it. Verse 19, another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. Oxen. And I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. I mean, you, know, you, you can understand that. These are pretty big business acquisitions. I got, you know, these are things that need to be done. And another said, and this is completely plausible. Another said, verse 20, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. I mean, Jesus, you know. So the slave came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told the slaves, then go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city, the highways and the byways, and, and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the, blame and the blind and the lame. So the slave apparently does that. Comes back, verse 22. Master, the slave said, what you ordered has been done, and there's still room. Then the master told the slave, well, go out into the highways and the lanes and make them come in. So that the house may be filled, for I tell you, not one of those men who are invited will enjoy my banquet. This is another one of those hard stories. But the host is throwing a party. And it's an all-out party. See, I think there are five ideas that lead to one point Jesus is making in all of this. And that's what I want us to, to think about. Because I think this is very important for us as a church for the next year. But before we do that, we've got to look at the excuses just for a minute. Because look at the excuses in your Bibles. Look at the excuses in the text. I bought a field, so I've got to go check it out. Please excuse me. I bought five yoke of oxen. I've got to try them out. Please excuse me. I just got married. Please excuse me. And yet that hacks the host off. And so then you look at Luke chapter 9 in verse 57 through 62 at very similar excuses that were made to Jesus. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Also another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus then said to him, no one puts his hand on the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. See, what you see is these excuses given in this parable are very similar to the excuses given here. See, because I think what we find, and you could say the first idea, is that Jesus is looking for followers. He's looking for followers who aren't too busy to follow him. But what you have in this story, in this parable, is the sad reality of these excuses, is these people were too busy with their possessions. They were too busy even with their family to accept the invitation and go to the party. 
They were too busy with other priorities and, and gave excuses. And we sit here and think, but Jesus, I mean, it was his wife. I mean, you don't have to live with her. He just bought a village for crying out loud. But Jesus is looking for followers and followers who aren't too busy. And see, remember his audience, though. His audience had believed that they were followers. But Jesus is trying to help them understand God wants all of us. For the Jews, he didn't just want their religious observance. He wanted their committed devotion. And see, for us today, nothing has changed about Jesus. He doesn't just want weekend religious observance. He wants daily relationship of devotion. He doesn't want churchgoers, church. He wants followers. Because he's throwing a party. And the kingdom of God isn't about status. It's not about the fact that these Jews kept the law. It's not about the fact that I go to church. It's about a response to the invitation that says, I'll go. And see, something else we've got to notice about this story is not only is Jesus looking for followers, but he really is looking for followers who should like to party. Hey, followers should like to party. And, and that's not me trying to be cute or anything. I mean, that's the story. Jesus wants followers who understand what is given in the kingdom of God. That in the kingdom of God, the eternal life is given. That joy and love is given. And that all is level at the foot of the cross in the kingdom of God. And that all of this beauty is given in the kingdom of God. And, and adoption into his family and joy and peace and purpose. And the very presence of God is given in the kingdom of God. But something else is given in the kingdom of God. Is that is a hope. A hope is given in the kingdom of God. And this hope that's given in the kingdom of God is the hope that one day in this party-less, hard, long, mundane for some of us life, we know that because of Jesus and the kingdom of God, there will be a kingdom table that will be at an end-time kingdom party. And it'll be like no other party we've ever gone to a day in our lives. And for some of us, I understand heaven is about, you know, cute robes and flying around floating in skies with harps and, and hanging out with people and, and singing constant songs for eternity. And if that's your view of heaven, then at least you're in heaven, right? I mean, that, that, there's nothing wrong with that per se. I, I just want to go with Jesus' view for a minute. I, mean, I like the idea of a kingdom table. And now some of us are wondering, well, will we get hungry in heaven? Don't miss the point. Yes, coffee will be served and there will be plenty of banana pudding. But don't miss the point to think that, that this is, well, and start working through all the details. It's a parable and a parable holds up a piece of reality to shed more light on that reality, sometimes in extreme ways. I think what Jesus wants us to understand is that there's a party that's going to go on when he returns. And it makes sense because all the sin, suffering, and sorrow, and death in this world that breaks human beings is going to be done away with, wouldn't you think that's a pretty good party? I'm not floating around on some cloud playing a harp in a cute road. I will be at the party getting my groove on. Jesus is looking for followers who should like the party. See, there's something else we need to notice about this kingdom party. This kingdom party, it is not our party. 
this great end time kingdom party that we're all waiting for and invited to isn't our party. Sure, we're going to be the honored guests and we will be welcomed, but we are not the host. And parties honor the host. And the host in this story is King Jesus. This is going to be Jesus' party. Because Jesus is the one who made it all happen. Jesus is the one who got rid of the sin, suffering, sickness, and death. He's the one who made it all work. And he's the one who gives us a reason for celebration. So we need to understand, this isn't mine and your party. This is his party. He's the host. And if I'm reading this right, he's also inviting some pretty unsavory people. Some unsavory people who often make us uncomfortable. Because he says, I want you to go into the alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. And that's not enough. I want the house full. Go into the highways and the byways and the lanes and the back alleys and invite those too. Because the party is for them. See what's beautiful about this party? Is that anyone is invited. Anyone and everyone is invited to this party. To go is just a response to the invitation. But anyone and everyone is invited. But the tragedy, the tragedy in the Jewish mind was that in some ways, in accordance to their interpretation of the law, in some ways in the Jewish mind, the blind and the lame and the the poor and the disabled and all those other people, the law excluded them altogether. They they just assumed that, that those people had no seat at the kingdom table. And Jesus wants to come and reset their theology. And see, what had happened was the Jews had created this who's in and who's out culture. But you know what the other tragedy is? Is what happened then still happens today. What happens then still happens today. Good-hearted Christians often adapt the view of other people or society or the world that doesn't often line up with God's kingdom values. And some people adapt this view very sincerely. Very sincerely, and sometimes unknowingly, simply because we're influenced by our environments. You're raised in the South, you're going to adopt some deep South, you're going to adopt some deep South views. Even Christians will adopt some deep South views that are contrary to the kingdom of God. Some will do it with malice and hate in their heart, and some will do it unknowingly and very sincerely. And what Jesus wants us to understand is that somewhere in our hearts a change has to take place. And that change, if it's taken place, will demonstrate itself in action, not with lip service. Because there's a lot of things we say, and then there's a lot of things we don't. Because sure, all of us might say, well, you know, of course God loves the poor. And of course God loves the the outcast of society. Of course God loves them. And we would say that. I think we would say that sincerely. But what some of us feel really deep down inside is that, of course, God loves them. But certainly he doesn't expect me to be surrounded by them, does he? Man, they, they can go to church, Fred, as long as they go to that one over there. See, that's the tragedy that happens today. And we say it makes sense. And you know what? I think it does make sense because people are messy. People are very messy. And you get into messy lives and it gets all over you too and you become even messier than you already are. And I don't know if you like me, but I got my own problems. I don't need yours too. Right? I got my own commitments. I don't need your commitments too. And so we say it makes sense. But then Jesus comes around and says, 
But that doesn't make kingdom sense. And that's hard. But that's the truth of this text. Because Jesus is looking for followers and followers who should like the party because we know what the party's about and we've got to understand it's not our party. And when it comes down to it, Jesus invites who he wants to invite. If it's his party, he can invite who he wants. Dr. Rubel Shelley is a former preacher in Churches of Christ. He's author of 30 books who serves now as the president of Rochester College. He's a great writer and thinker, and I'd encourage you to bite some of his books. He's a deep lover of the people of God. My friend Josh Graves, who's a teaching pastor at Otter Creek Church of Christ in Nashville, recalls a story about Dr. Rubel Shelley when he first began ministry. While working as a young minister outside of Memphis, Rubel faced a very difficult situation. Following the assassination of Martin Luther King, Rubel preached a sermon on the responsibility of Christians to love without conditions, to tear down the walls of racism, which at the time put Rubel in a very, very precarious position and a minority among Protestant preachers willing to do this. Well, one church leader responded, Do you mean to tell me that God wants whites and blacks to live together? And Rubel responded, No. I'm saying God expects the church to be the church. Well, then, of course, the elders called an emergency meeting and asked Rubel to recant and repent of his message. The elders just couldn't make sense of Rubel's understanding of Scripture and, frankly, couldn't make sense of the message of Jesus. During a tense moment in the meeting, one elder asked Rubel, if your daughter came home with a black man, you'd be okay with it? And Rubel responded with this, I'd rather her marry a black man with a heart like Jesus than a white man with a heart like yours. Needless to say, that was his last Sunday. Because what makes sense in the world doesn't always make sense in the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The kingdom redefines what makes sense. And he wants us to reconsider too. See, because the hard part about the kingdom reality is the very people we would keep at a distance are the very people who will sit first at the kingdom table at the great end time kingdom party. The ones who will sit at the table, it's the homeless man flying a sign begging for money. It's the welfare recipient driving the BMW. It's the man who voted for President Obama. It's the woman who voted for John McCain. It's the Chick-fil-A cashier who always messes up your order, which, by the way, never happens at Chick-fil-A. The ones who will sit at the kingdom table of God is the loud neighbor who never keeps up their lawn. The one who will sit at the kingdom table at the great end time parties, the elderly man who always seems to be in everybody's business. If the response is accepted, if the invitation is accepted, it's these people. It's the young teenager who has ridiculous hair and tattoos all over his arm. It's the man, woman, and child who moved here from another country to the U.S. to find a better life. It's the starving orphan in Africa or the young Indian girl sold into slavery for sex. All these people that society often wants to kick to the fringes are the very people that Jesus is saying are are welcomed at the kingdom table. And they have a great seat at the big kingdom party that's going to take place at the end time. And Jesus looks us square in the eye. And he says, if you are my kingdom people, then believe it. And go invite these people. Don't keep them out because of your social customs that make no sense to the kingdom. Don't keep them out because of your political commitments. Don't kick them out out because of the way your parents raised you. Kick them out because of, keep them in because of what Jesus says. You, You can't kick them out. You and I don't have that privilege because one thing we learn in this story 
is that though we extend his invitation like that servant, we don't make the guest list. You and I cannot choose who we sit next to at the kingdom table at the great kingdom party. And God in his sense of humor is liable to sit me right next to the person I didn't want to sit to this side of glory. We don't choose the guest list. We extend the invitation with grace because we are people of grace. But we'll only do that if we hear this story. So then my question is, why is there racism in the church? Why do we act like we make the guest list in the church? Why do you and I act like we somehow can determine who's in and who's out? Why are there ethnic divides in the church? Why have there ever been and why will there continue to be? If what Jesus said here is true. See, here's the beauty of this story for us as a church. Today, all of this can change with us. We can be a church who gets this. Jesus isn't interested about what we did yesterday and how good we've been. Though it honors him and gives him so much delight, there's no doubt in my heart. What he's really interested in is how he's going to be able to lead us. See, we don't make the guest list. Because if there's one overarching point I think Jesus is making in this story, is that the kingdom makes space for anyone at the table. The kingdom makes space for anyone at the table. No matter what you've done and where you've been, no matter where you're from, no matter where you feel like you're going, kingdom makes space for you. Please come and sit next to me. That's what Jesus wants. But he wants us to proclaim it with our lives. Because in Matthew 25, he talks about the precursor to this party that he's been talking about in Luke 14. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Let the party begin. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty or give you something to drink? When do we see you as a stranger or foreigner and take you in? When do we see you without clothes and, and clothe you? When do we see you sick in prison or visit you? And the king answered, we all know the rest. I assure you, whoever you did this for, the least of these brothers of mine, you did this for me. See, because the truth is, it's society that dehumanizes human beings, not the maker of humanity. And he calls his people to see the intrinsic value of all that he has created and be about restoring life. See, our vision is a church. How we seek to become disciples who make disciples is so much more than just a few words. See, our vision is a church and something you as a member of this church need to know in your heart and head is that we are God's people who are joined in his pursuit of restoring lives. We are joined in his pursuit.
we are committed. We are committed to make space at the table of the kingdom because we're joined in his pursuit of restoring lives. And we're committed to make space at the kingdom table of the people who are in the most need of restoration because we're joined in his pursuit of restoring lives. We are committed to making space at the kingdom table even if nobody else will because we're committed to being joined in his pursuit of restoring lives. And we're not just committed to making space, we're committed to going out into the highways and the byways and the back alleys and inviting them here and letting them know, not wait for them to come, but let them know there is space for you where you feel like you live in a world where there is no space because of your divorce or because of your secret sin or because of your poverty or because of your wealth, where you feel like there is no space for you in the heart and love of anyone else. There is space for you in the kingdom of God. There is space for you at the kingdom table. And there's a place for you at the great end time kingdom party that's going to happen. And you're going to be a guest of honor. And the host who is the greatest guest, the greatest one of all, will celebrate your presence as we celebrate his And there is space at the table for you at Williamsburg Christian Church. Because we're a people who know that sin, my sin, your sin, it broke our lives. And we are a people in need of restoration too. And we can be a humble people who remember that. See, where Jesus went, we have been sent. And he went to the highways and the byways and the back alleys. That's where he sends us. Regardless of position, regardless of your status or your lack thereof, God has called us to be a church joined in his pursuit of restoring lives. And that's going to be messy, church. It's going to be messy. It's going to smell messy. It's going to look messy. It's going to sound messy by how people talk. And it's going to cost a lot of money. And it's going to cost a lot of time. And it's going to cost a lot of tears and a lot of frustration. But it is the kingdom of God. And we are people of the kingdom. So what I invite us to wrestle with this year is how we can really be a people who demonstrate to a world that we are joined in God's pursuit of restoring lives in this city and in this world. And if that makes you the slightest bit uncomfortable, perhaps it should. We're in this together. If all of us choose to accept his invitation to really follow and let it be his party, Let's be joined in God's pursuit of restoring lives.